Spud asked me to talk about uh, some research that we've done in the UK called Talking Jesus. And uh, let me just give this a context uh, for why it's been done and the way it came about. One of the things that we do in Hope, and it's not Hope UK, that's a different charity, it's Hope Together, but the actual uh, framing of it is just hope. I have a passion to see the church working together. Wouldn't that be a miracle? No, it really would. And I think the enemy's had a field day in getting us to disagree on trivia. And, and that creates all sorts of problems. It creates a problem as well for the not yet Christian. Because it's really confusing when you have a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, all on the same street, and they don't talk to one another. Uh, you're late, uh, by the way. Let me just uh, inform you of that. Uh, uh, in Jesus' name, you are really late. No, and so, so my passion is let's find a way to get the church to work together. Let's find a way within communities to get the church to work together. But the only way we're going to work together is ecumenicalism or ecumenicalism that just discusses theology will never create us to work together because we do all hold different opinions. You hold your view and I'll hold God's view. But that's the problem. <laughs> and, and so there we live in that arena. But when we focus on community, when we focus on those that are not in the faith that we love, then we can work together. Because it's then that we are passionate about Christ's mission. And in the light of that, we can unite for the transformation of society and community. Because the church, the local church, is the only hope for the world. So, in the light of that, I've worked for an organization called Hope. We did Hope 08. We, we bring denominations together. We, we work really hard. So we work with both archbishops. We work with the head of the Baptist Union, head of the Methodist Church, uh, Salt and Light, Vineyard, Frontiers. All of those people, in a strange way, said we want to connect. So what we did is we brought them together for 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, we asked a big question. The big question we put to them is, if we're going to re-evangelize the UK but specifically England, what do we need to do now together to see that happen in the next 25 years? And in the light of that, we then presented some research that we gathered, which we felt it was really important because there's a lot of anecdotal evidence about what people think of us Christians. If you read the Daily Mail, or some of our daily papers, you'd really struggle with what they think about us. So what we thought is, let's just ask people in society their perceptions of Jesus Christ. And we employed a secular company to do this. Because we want this piece of... You're really late. <laughs> but we're really pleased you're here. Um, so what we did is we asked them to look at this. And Kumrez, 
uh, the company that we used, we said we want it on perceptions of Jesus. They did this research. It's a qualitative, quantitative piece of research. We shared it with these denominational leaders that we had together for 24 hours. And we're in partnership with Evangelical Church, Evangelical Alliance Church of England. And these church leaders, these believers, didn't believe the research. They said, we don't believe it. And the two statisticians that were there said, this is credible. This could be on Radio 4. This could be on Radio 2. This is true. But all these believers said, we don't believe it. And the reason they didn't believe it is this is what it came out with. 70% of people in our churches share their faith on average twice a week. Now, they thought nobody was sharing their faith with non-Christians. But we are. So church leaders were banging people over their heads, and they were doing it. Then they discovered that 50% of the people in England don't believe in the historical Jesus. They don't believe he actually lived. I shared this information, and a school teacher in one of our schools went into school and said, how many of you uh, in a, a year nine, year nine lesson, is basically 13 to 14-year-olds. They're a nightmare, really. The closest thing to hell you can get is teaching 13 to 14-year-olds. 13 to 14-year-old lads are really fascinating because you ask them any question and they all look at one another. And then one of them answers, yeah. And then they all answer. It's quite fascinating. 13 and 14-year-old girls you can sum up in only one way. (laughs) And so what we have, (laughs) so you can tell this is a man's conference. So this teacher went in and said, how many of you believe in the historical Christ? There was one hand that went up. She was was so shocked, she was teaching RE. So she taught the lesson on the historical evidence for Jesus. Jesus. And you know, as a teacher now, you have to do the learning outcome. She did the learning outcome at the end of the lesson. How many of you now believe Jesus was a historical figure? 98% put their hands up. So somewhere there's been a disconnect. So what we then left that conference to do is we were commissioned to go and do a bigger piece of research. This is the biggest piece of research that's ever been done in society's perception of Jesus. Why? The only reason we did it is so that we can become more effective at communicating the gospel. So that we understand our audience, because we run the risk of losing our audience when we use language and words and information that they don't understand. Nobody understands the word sin anymore. Now, I know you struggle with that, but it's true, and most of them don't think they are a sinner. So we've got to find a new word. Selfishness may be a good word. We need to find new language. But the gospel still remains the same. Amen? Amen. Okay. So watch this little clip that basically is a 90-second analysis of this research. And then I'm going to pull out some information from this that I believe will be pertinent for Northern Ireland. Because... If we're going to talk Jesus, if we're going to communicate this gospel, 
then let's learn some really good lessons so that we become more effective at reaching people. See, I have a dream. And my dream is this. There's going to be another census done in 2020. That census will probably show a massive decline in Christianity. You just look at stats on the Methodist Church. You look at stats on Presbyterian Church. You look on stats on the Church of Ireland. It's all going the wrong way. So when this census will be done, it will show a massive decline. I have this opinion. I think we've got five years to turn it around. And I think we could turn it around. But what we've got to do is change the conversation. Because most of the conversation is negative. Most of the conversation, Clive Woodward was asked a question in relation to England. There, I've done it. I put it out there. He was asked a question, how did you get the England team to win? He said this, we changed the conversation in the dressing room. Everybody said, we're no good, we're not going to win. And I changed that conversation to say we could win. What do we need to do better to win? I was asked on a radio interview on Radio 2 in response to this research, do you think the church has a future? It's a good question, isn't it? They were looking at all the stats. And they said, do you think it has a future? I said, yes. Of course it has a future. I said, I believe in the resurrection. There will always be a church. Isn't that true? There will always be a church. The gospel is alive and active and people's lives are changed. But if you're asking me, will all the tribes that are presently around be around in the next 15 years? I don't know. They may not be. But if they're resurrection tribes, they should be. And I think nominalism is dying. But authentic Christian faith is living on in a big way. And that's why we've got to change the conversation. So I'm saying to church leaders, listen, when you come together as church leaders, discuss your growth plan. Discuss what you're going to do to look differently over the next five years. Because this gospel, as far as I can see, Jesus says, it's to grow. I will build my church. So we're doing something wrong. So that's why this research is fueling me and fueling denominations. And what it's doing is giving confidence to people to step out and communicate the gospel. So watch this click, click, quick clip, and then I will just pull out a few things. Thank you, sir. What do people outside our churches know about Jesus? Have they ever had a conversation with a practicing Christian about Jesus? Answers to questions like these could really help us share the most amazing news, the love of God for all of us through Jesus. So we asked, and here's what people, your friends and neighbors said. 57% said they're a Christian. 9% are active Christians. They regularly go to church, pray and read the Bible. Useful starting place. But what do they actually know about Jesus? 21% think he's God. 
while 30% think he's a spiritual leader or prophet. But only 60% think he was an actual, real, historical person. Our job here is clear. Let's make sure everyone gets to hear that Jesus actually lived and walked on earth and that he claimed he was God. How are we going to do this? Well, 67% said they know one of us, an active follower of Jesus. And we're most likely to be their family and friends. But have we ever spoken to them about Jesus? 58% of those who know us have had a conversation about Jesus with us. Now that's a great start. But what do they think about Jesus after that conversation? One in five are open to knowing and experiencing more about him. That's one in five of your friends and family members, the people you know really well, who are waiting for you to talk about Jesus with them. And we found out that talking to someone who knows Jesus was really important in helping 36% of us decide to follow Jesus for ourselves. So let's talk Jesus. Did you like that? 90 seconds sums up this whole piece of research that we paid £40,000 for. (laughs) But let me pull out some things that are key to this. The first thing that's key is we asked followers of Jesus, and the definition for a follower of Jesus was someone who attends church once a month, reads their Bible and prays daily. That was Cumrez's analysis of a committed follower of Jesus. Of those followers of Jesus, we asked them, what was the reason you came to faith in Jesus Christ? And the number one reason that people came to faith in Jesus Christ was family. So let's invest in getting Christian families to live out the faith in a family context. Because if that's the number one reason There's some family connection. There's some family link. So let's invest in that. Let's see how we serve that. Some of you have come up to me over the lunchtime and just talked about what you've been doing and how you've been engaging and how the way families are actually having a big influence. Listen, don't put it down to the Sunday school, which is what we've done. Don't employ someone to do it. It's your call as fathers. I remember my son uh, was four years of age, and we were reading a book to him, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, pretty heavy book. Um, but uh, we went into Aslan, and uh, he got into it, and his eyes lit up. And, and he went, Dad, this is amazing. What's it about? So I explained to him what Jesus did on the cross, that he broke death, that he's risen, that he's alive, and evil men just crucified him. And, and, his eyes, and he's like, Dad, what do I need to do? I said, you need to pray. He said, Dad, I want to pray. I said, you want me to lead you in a prayer? He said, no, Dad, I'm cool. I can do my own prayers. I'm like, okay. And this is what he prayed. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did to me. If anyone tries to do that to you again, just you tell me and I'll shoot them. think you got it. So what we need to understand is the family unit. In the nation of Israel, it was the family unit that told the stories. 
They did the things as a family. They explained the story of the Passover as a family. The kid would ask the questions. The questions then being reinterpreted. Walter Brueggemann says, we've got to reinterpret the story for the next generation. And families. The second is they came to faith as a result of friends. So friendship. I spoke to someone recently, and they said, they don't understand friendship. I don't think we do understand friendship. So I was meeting with this church leader. He said, I don't think we really have any friends. I said, what do you mean you don't have any friends? I said, let's just analysis with your leadership team. I came back, met with their leadership, met with the pastor. I said, okay, let's, let's analyze the relationships that you're connected with. I said, let's use a term. How many hands are you holding? He said, well, not for it. No, no, I said, let's just talk about relationships. So he said, we run the mums and toddlers group. I said, okay, how many come to that? Well, he says, it's got a waiting list. We have 150 families. I said, fascinating. So already you're holding 150 hands. Okay, what else do you do? Well, we do a lunch, a luncheon club for the elderly. I said, how many come? He said, 40. I said, you got 40 there. I said, what else do you do? He said, we run CAP. I said, I mean, and then all of a sudden, we accumulated 300 connections. I said, you have 300 connections, 300 relationships. I said, how many people from there have come to faith in Jesus Christ over the last two years? He said, no one. I said, surely there's a problem here. There is a disconnect. And the disconnect is you're not intentional about communicating the gospel. I said, why don't you explain to everyone who comes to your mums and toddlers group, now I know this is a men's conference, why they come. And then research it as leaders. So they did this research. I went back, I worked with them. They came back and they said, they've been amazed. All these people knew the mums and toddlers group was in the church and they were shocked that no one had ever spoken to them about the gospel. And it was in the church building. And they said, we were a bit suspicious. Because they hadn't told them. Hey, listen, we've got to get a bit more confident, haven't we? And then we've got to find a pathway to faith. And that pathway to faith is an intentional pathway with certain hooks along the line. Then we also asked another question um, in, in relation to two other groups where they've got, they're holding these hands. So they're connected relationally. I said, you're in touch with 300 people. Let me tell you what the research says. The research says that one in five people, one in five that you are in relationship with is open to the possibility of having a relationship with God. One in five. But let me tell you something else that this research showed. We thought non-Christians didn't like us. We really did. Let me tell you, they asked society, do you like Christians? Nearly 80% said, we love Christians. They like us. A lot. They think we're generous. They think we're humorous. Now, some of us need to work on that. But 
Listen, only 3% thought we were homophobic or pharisaical. So the common good of what we've done, we are well loved. But if you'd listen to the media, you'd think they hate us. It just ain't true. So if we've got an audience that likes us, and one in five of them are open to the possibility of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, isn't that a good news story? Doesn't that kind of lift your head to say, well, why don't we get on with it? If you were a company and you did this research, you would actually say 20% of everybody out there wants to buy a product. But what Christians do is they say, but 80% don't. (laughs) But let me tell you this. We're also in relationship with them. We know them. They know us. But there is a few challenges. And with now, I think I'm going to get shot. But the challenges are this. 70% of people that share their faith. How many of you share your faith with your friends? See? Loads of us. The problem is that once we do that, we then ask, what did you think of the conversation? (laughs) And this is where the problem occurs. 48% of them said... We were really glad that we didn't hold their faith. So what are we saying? What is happening in that conversation? You see, it's a conversation. So don't preach to them. You don't preach one-on-one. Because if you do, don't blame the gospel for having no mates. You are Billy no mates, and you should be. It's a one-on-one conversation. Means that I input, you process it, we talk again. If you're just off on one, because I've said, tell me about Christianity, and 10 minutes later you haven't come up for a breath, don't wonder that he's never going to ask you another question. And he'll probably never want to see you again. And then blame the gospel, the offense of the gospel. No, you're an idiot. It's not the offense of the gospel. Jesus Christ was attractive. People loved being around him. Didn't he? They said he's interesting, he's fascinating. When he communicated the gospel, there was a challenge, of course. And there will always be the offense of the cross. But you know what? I've got so many good friends that are not Christians. I've communicated the gospel with them, and they still want to go out for an Indian with me. They still want to go out to the social club. They still like me as a friend to the point where one of their friends died. And they said, we don't know who we know that's a vicar. You're a vicar. We know you're not official, but you are revved up. (laughs) (laughs) I am revved up. He said, would you do it? I said, I'd love to do it. It'd be an honor. Listen, stay in touch. Stay connected. Let's work together. We've got five years. We could turn this around. We could turn this around one-on-one. But you've got to put growth into your strategy. You've got to be intentional. And you've got to think, not just the maintenance of all this, we've got to think they like us. They think we're doing some common good. 
So let's build on that. And let's see these people come to faith. If your church hasn't seen anyone come to faith in the last two years, then you've got to ask some big questions. And I know church leaders struggle with this because they've got a massive list of everything to do. But let's help them. Let's empower them. Let's find a way. Why? Because this gospel is the power of God to transform lives. Two websites to look at. Talking Jesus. All the research is up there. It's downloadable. You can download PDFs. You can take that video, show it at church, use it any way you want. And the other one is hopetogether.org, where we're seeking to research. Because the other thing I'm concerned about is that we've had so many training programs on evangelism. But we must be doing something wrong there in the way we're training people. And I think what we're doing is we're making it formulaic. And it's not formulaic. It's relational. Jesus didn't have a formula. I feel as if I'd like to go on to see what happens at the end of the minute. Father, we pray that you would help us from what we've seen and what we've heard to be more effective at revealing you to a lost and broken world so that you will be lifted up and you will draw literally hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. God bless you.